There's never been a more exciting time to get involved here at Redemption. God is moving in some incredible ways. Let me just share with you some awesome things that God's done so far this year. This year alone, we have already baptized, get this, 71 people. Come on, that's amazing, right? And we still have one more baptism Sunday to go. We could break 100 baptisms this year, praise God. Our serve teams are full of life. Our small groups are packed each and every week. And we just celebrated three record attendance. That's right, last week we had the highest number of Kids and Redemption Kids. Our first Wednesday was a record attendance and last Sunday also was a record attendance here at Redemption. Just last year on this week, we had 412 in attendance and last week we had 651. That is a 58% growth over the last year. And just to put that in perspective for you, the uh, average healthy church in America grows by about 15% per year. And we have grown by 58% in 2023 alone. Hey, can we, just, can we just give God some glory? Isn't God amazing? I love what he's doing in our church. And I know what some of you, you may be thinking. You're like, Byron, is it all about the numbers for you? And I would say, Yes, here's the reason why. Because every number has a name and every name has a story and every story, it matters for the God. Here, here, here's, the, here's the number that we're most focused on. It's not butts and seats. It's not nickels and noses. It's not the offering. It's not the attendance. It's not our serve teams. Here's the number that matters most to us. It's the number one. That's what matters most is reaching that one person who is far from God, reaching that one person who's holding on to hope, reaching that one person who's battling depression, who's fighting addiction, reaching that one marriage that's hanging on by a thread, reaching that one kiddo in the back as they learn about Jesus, that, that one soul, that one life that is waiting to be changed by Jesus. At Redemption, we do it for the one. We care about the one. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, reaching the one. And so if you have your Bibles, open up me to Acts chapter nine. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 10. And while you're finding your place, because we have begun to grow again so much, I wanted to kind of get to know everybody and let everybody kind of feel a little bit more, uh, a little bit more welcome. And so I'm going to ask a question. We're going to find out what we all have in common together. I'm going to ask a question I'm gonna need you to raise your hand. And I know I'm not in the room right now. And so if nobody raises their hand, it's gonna be really awkward, all right? So let's all just uh, play along and humor me a little bit. Um, raise your hand if you're like me, left-handed. Any, where's my left-handed people at? Okay, we're the only ones in our right mind, amen? All right, how about this one? Raise your hand if you are married. Raise your hand. All right, now grab your spouse's hand and hold it. Nice little romantic sermon for you. Uh, raise your hand if you have kids. Anybody in the room? All right. Y'all look tired. Get some coffee, okay? So if you need to get up anytime through the message and grab you a cup of coffee so you can stay awake, please do that. Uh, how about this one? Raise your hand if you are single. Raise your hand. Everybody else, keep your hand raised. All right. Now look around the room. Look around the room. 
All right, there you go. That, go ask them out for dinner later tonight. All right, guys, I just did you a big favor. Um, okay, raise your hand if you were raised Baptist. Any Baptist? I know that's so uncomfortable. You don't like raising your hands, especially in church, but thank you for doing that. Now, if you're like me and you were raised Pentecostal, charismatic, raise your hand, raise both of them. Hallelujah, glory. Should have bought a Honda, but instead you bought a Kia. All right, so look around the room. Everybody, we're all in here, but we have not yet really found the thing that we all have in common. So I'm gonna ask one more question. Raise your hand if you know and love somebody that does not yet know and love Jesus. Raise your hand if you know somebody who does not know Jesus. If you are a Christian, then every hand in this room should be raised because as believers, that's the, the one thing that we all have in common, whether we're married or single, Baptist or charismatic or left-handed. All those things, they may divide us into different groups, but there's one thing that unites us together as a church, and that is the Great Commission. That is that we are to reach the lost, to see souls saved, to see lives changed, to have hell be plundered and heaven be populated. It's the one thing that all Christians should have have in common is to fulfill the great commission that someone that we know and love would come to know and love Jesus. And so that's the big idea that we're going to tackle in the text today in the book of Acts. It's in uh, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. But it's the key theme that runs throughout the entire book of Acts. And it's when Jesus tells his disciples after the, the resurrection, he gives them their marching orders. It's his last words. Here's what he says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which means if you're a Christian and if you call redemption home, then we need to understand that we exist. Here's how I put in your notes. We exist to be his witnesses. You ever wonder, like, why on earth am I here? Like, what is my purpose? What is, what is, my, what, what is my calling? Like, what does God want me to do? I'll tell you what your calling is. Here's your calling. You exist to be his witness. That's your ministry, not your paid vocational ministry, but that is your personal ministry to the Lord is to be his witness everywhere to anyone that you meet, that we are to be his witness to our friends, to to our family members, to our co-workers, kids, neighbors, city, region, around the world. Because here's what Jesus says, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, let's put it in a little bit of context. You will be his witness from Beaumont, Mid-County, Lumberton, Nederland, Orange, Port Natchez, Groves, to the ends of the earth, which includes Vider, Texas. All the Vidorians in the room, hey, we love you, and God has a plan for all of our lives. We are to be his witness everywhere to anyone that we meet. We exist, why? To be his witness. And today we're going to learn how. If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Here's the sermon title today, How to Lead Someone to Jesus. We're going to read it all up front. We're going to make a couple observations. And then I'm going to give you five points on personal evangelism. Let's go ahead and read the text. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. 
The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. We met him last week. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. That's you. He came in, laid his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered into the house, laying his hands on him. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, before I get uh, into the text, take a moment and I want to introduce you to these two characters so we can get to know them a little bit better. The, the first person we meet, his name is Saul, who's later gonna become Paul the apostle. And last week we got to see his dramatic conversion. And if you missed it, you can go back online and you can listen on Spotify or on YouTube. But here's what we know about Saul is that he was a religious leader. Most likely he was uh, one of the 70 elders or those who are in the Sanhedrin uh, who was persecuting the early church. He was a, a Pharisee. He hated Christianity so much that he was the mastermind behind the wave of persecution that was leading to the destruction of the early church and even the murder of a young deacon named Stephen. What we saw last week is that he was on his way to Damascus after getting um, a permission from the, the chief priest to go into arrest, to beat, to throw him into prison and even possibly murder the, the very first Christians. Not just the, the men though. It says that he was actually arresting the women, possibly the children. And we saw last week in chapter nine, verse one, it says that while he was still breathing out his murderous threats, he was on his way to Damascus to murder the early Christians. And while he was on that Damascus road, all of a sudden Jesus shows up with a bright light and a loud voice blinds him, knocks him off his horse and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul responds, he says, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord answers and he says, my name is Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And Saul fell down on his knees and he began to listen to the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus gave him further instructions. He says, go into Damascus and there you will find out what you must do. And while he's on the way to Damascus, chapter nine, verse 10, picks up the rest of the story and he's to meet a man named Ananias. So first we saw Saul. Now we're gonna meet Ananias. Who's Ananias? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us a lot about this guy. 
We do know that he's not the Ananias and Sapphira we met in Acts chapter six because the Holy Spirit already dealt with them and took out the trash. He's also not the Ananias we're gonna see in Acts chapter 23 because he arrests Paul and puts him in prison. This is a different Ananias. And we learn a little bit about him outside the text in chapter 22 when Paul later is actually telling his testimony. And here's what he says back to this story. He says, in one Ananias, he was a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. That's pretty much all we know about Ananias. We know he was a disciple, which means he was a follower of Jesus. He was a devout man according to the law. So he was distinctively Jewish. He was a a Christian. And at this time, because the gospel had not yet gone to the Gentiles, all Christians were actually Jewish during this moment because the church started in Jerusalem. We know that he was well-spoken of, which means he has a great reputation. But notice this. It says he was a disciple. It doesn't say that he was an apostle. It doesn't say that he was a prophet. He doesn't have a theology degree. He was just an ordinary guy who loved Jesus, who was living his life. And we see in the text that God is going to use him to lead Saul to Jesus, who becomes Paul, who then takes the gospel to the Gentiles and around the world. This one man is a linchpin. He's a hinge to which the Great Commission It really hangs upon Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Ananias is one ordinary guy who God used to reach one person and that one person through this conversation single-handedly transforms the world. And what I believe is the way that God did it for Ananias and Saul's life is the same thing that God wants to do in your life and in our life. He wants for you and me and for all of us to what? to be his witnesses. He wants for us to lead people to Jesus. Who knows someone who does not yet know and love Jesus? Then it's, then it's your job to be that witness. It's our job to be that witness. Now, here's, the, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road though. See, I know that when it comes to sharing our faith, I don't think that there's any Christian in this room who's gonna be shocked that you're supposed to witness to others. Like no one's gonna be like, what? I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus? I didn't know that. No, we all know that we're supposed to witness and to evangelize, tell people about Jesus, share our faith. I mean, we know that. We know we're supposed to do that. However, we also know that we don't do it like we're supposed to. See, according to research, only 5% of evangelical Christians in America have led one person to Jesus during their lifetime. That means 95% of Christians, members of local churches, have not yet led somebody that they know and love to come and to know and love Jesus that we're not being faithful to the Great Commission. On top of that, Lifeway Research, they actually just released a study that says only 52%, so a little bit more than half of all Christians, when surveyed, have shared their faith one time in the last year. Only 52% of Christians have shared their faith one time 
within the, the last year. Now, I know that that is not anybody here at Redemption, right? Because you guys are active in sharing your faith. In fact, evangelism is one of our five core values, worship, community, serving, evangelism, and generosity. And so we have a very evangelistic type church, but 52% have not invited or shared or told somebody about Jesus this year. So my question is this, is why? Why are people not sharing their faith? Now, the reality is there's probably a dozen reasons as to, to why somebody doesn't share their faith. Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's because of ignorance. You don't know what to say. Maybe it's just sheer disobedience and stubbornness. Like whatever it is, go ahead and, and pick your poison. But as I thought about it more this week, here's what I came to the conclusion that really kind of best fits who and, and where we're at, uh, the why here at Redemption that people struggle when it comes to sharing their faith. And, and here's what it is. It's not that we lack the, the want to, it's that we don't really know how to. See, people, what I've discovered is this, is that people have the, the want to when it comes to sharing your faith. The problem is, is you haven't been taught how to. Like, I believe that you want to share your faith. I believe that you want to lead people to Jesus. I mean, who doesn't want their husband or their wife sitting next to them in church? Who doesn't want their kids to know about Jesus? Who doesn't want a friend or a family member, a coworker or a classmate to get in the baptism waters and celebrate life change through? Jesus. I believe that we all have the, the want to, but the problem is, is we haven't been given the, the how to. The reason that 52% of Christians have not invited somebody to church isn't because they don't want to, haven't shared their faith with somebody in the last year, isn't because they don't want to. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think it's because you haven't been taught how to. And so I want to teach you how to share your faith. I, I wanna help you lead others to Jesus. You've been told, but you haven't been given the tools. You've been told what to do without being taught how to do it. You have the want to, but you're lacking in the, the how to. And so if you wanna lead somebody to Jesus, to share your faith, to see someone you know and love come to know and love Jesus, then I wanna help you do that. And so I'm gonna give you five um, points on, on personal evangelism today. Five ways in which you can share your faith. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. If you wanna lead someone to Jesus, live in the presence of God. Here, here's what we see in verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias came in, he laid hands on him and so that he might regain his sight. Now, the story starts off with Ananias. And so what happens? Ananias has a vision. You think, well, what is a vision? A vision is kind of like 
um, a dream while you're awake. Some people explain it where all of a sudden it's like a film and you begin to see into the unseen spiritual realm. I've never had one personally, but we do have people on our staff and those who are at our church who this is a way that God does speak to them. It's not the only way and it's not even the primary way, but it is a way. At Redemption, we believe in the continuation of the miraculous gifts because here's what um, it says in Acts chapter two, it says in the last days that the old men will dream dreams. The young men will have visions, your sons and your daughters, they're gonna prophesy. And this is what Jesus tells us to expect in the last days. And last time I checked and I turned on the TV, we're still living in the last days, somebody, come on. And so we believe in the continuation of the spiritual gifts. So he has a vision, but more than that, what is Ananias doing in this moment? He is doing what we should all be doing. He is living in the presence of God. His life is so saturated with God's presence through prayer in God's power that when God is looking for someone to use, he chooses Ananias, which is important for all of us. And here's the reason why, because God uses us not based on our abilities, but rather our availability. Like if you want to be used by God, then just make yourself available to God. God chooses us not based upon our abilities, but rather our availability, because here's what Jesus says. You will receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. Jesus is the one who gives us the power to be effective in our witness. It's not based on your strength, but his strength. It's not based on your intellect, but based upon his spirit. It's not based on your abilities, but rather your availability and your willingness to be used by God. If you want to be used by God, then choose to spend time with God and rest in his presence. If you want to reach the lost, if you want to see souls saved, then you make yourself available to God by spending time in his presence. And the more time you spend in his presence, the more of God's power you're going to see active in your life. Okay. So, so how, how do we do that? Okay. Let me give you three quick ways where you can live in the presence of God. Number one, it starts here. It starts with, with reading your Bible. Right, if you ever want a word from God, this is all you got to do. You just got to read the word of God. This is God's word. It's true. It's trustworthy. And this is God speaking to us. And so if you don't have a vision, if you don't get a prophetic word, that's okay. Because this is the word of God. And if you ever need the word of God, then just read God's word because this word tells us who God is. And as we read God's word, God speaks to us. And the second thing we do is we not only read the word, but we grow your prayers. See, the Bible is a monologue where God's speaking to you, but prayer is a dialogue where you speak to God. And so as we spend time in God's presence through prayer, then he's going to speak to us and reveal things and we get to pray back to him. And then we get to see his evidence all around us, which leads to, to number three is to worship your Lord. Right, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you want to experience God's presence, then give God some praise. 
begin to worship the Lord. And as we draw near to him, that's when he draws near to us and we get to see his presence evident all around us. Here's one simple quick tip that I do is I just play worship music pretty much around the clock at home, in the car, while I'm working, because I always want to be aware of his presence around us. Here's why. Because God uses me, God uses you, God uses us, not based on our abilities, but rather our availability. And the more available we make ourselves to God, then the more he's going to give us opportunities to share our faith. So number one, what we got to do is we got to live in the presence of God. Number two, is to learn their story. Look what happens in verse 13. But Ananias answered, he said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. Oh, oh God, I've heard about him, right? How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. You mean you want me to go to the guy who murdered Stephen and all the rest of them? You want me to go and tell him about you? And he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who, he's coming here to kill me, Jesus. And now you want me to go to him. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, listen to this, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now listen, imagine you're in Ananias' position. Like you know who Saul is. And you also know that Saul is on his way to arrest you, to throw you in prison, possibly kill you, burn down your church. And then God says, hey, I want you to go and invite him to be a member of your small group. Go ahead. And he's like, uh, one, two, three, not it, right? You're like, I, I'm not, that's, that's not me. I said, I want you to go and invite him to your house. And I want you to sit down and take him out for lunch. And I want you to, to share your faith with him. And Ananias, he's, he's reticent, he's, he's hesitant, he's nervous about this. And here's the reason why, because Ananias only knew about Saul's past, but God knew about Saul's future. See, God reveals to Ananias, not what Saul did, but what God wants to do through the life of Saul. See, Ananias, he knew who Saul was, but God knew who Paul would become. And this is an important lesson for us when it comes to sharing our faith, that we don't focus on who a person is. We focus on who that person can become when Jesus changes their lives. One of the best ways for you to reach somebody for the gospel is this, is to see people the way that God sees them. Like when you look at a person, don't focus on their past, but rather focus on their potential. Paul was a murderer, but God saw a missionary. Paul was a persecutor of the church, but God saw a pastor who was going to plant churches. When you're thinking about sharing your faith to somebody, don't say no for them. Don't think, oh, they're too far gone or nobody's gonna be able to reach them or they're not interested because God was working in Saul's life before Ananias ever even showed up and God could be working in their heart, in their soul, in their life and you could be the one who leads them to Jesus. So don't focus on their past, focus on their potential. Don't focus on what they've done, but focus on who they can be when Jesus changes their life. Sure, maybe they got a divorce, but that's not their destiny. And sure, maybe they may be strung out on drugs, but that's, but that's not their future. 
Sure, they may be far from God, but nobody's further than God because God's arm is not short and he can reach anybody no matter who they are or where they're at or what they've done. And it's not our job to save people. It's our job to tell them about the God who saves. And so don't focus on their past, but tell them about the future. Don't see people the way that the world sees them, but rather see them the way that God sees them. Sit down and learn their story and then tell them how their story can be used for God's glory and change the world. So if you want to lead somebody to Jesus, don't focus on their past, but tell them about the God who can change their future. Learn their story. Here's the third thing we need to do is this. If you want to lead somebody to Jesus, live in the presence, learn their story. Number three, look for an opportunity. Here's what it says in verse 17. So Ananias departed. Yes, Lord, I'll go find the murderer who's on his way to kill me. And he entered into the house. Listen to this. God says, Ananias, I want you to get up. I want you to go and I want you to enter into that house. And what does Ananias do? He says, okay. And he gets up, he goes, and he enters into the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight. So while God was working on Saul, God was working on Ananias. God was moving in Saul's life, and God was moving in Ananias' life, and then God's gonna bring them together that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. So in verse 13, as we previously read, Ananias at first, he was, he was hesitant. I think we all would be. And I think when it comes to sharing our faith, we're, we're all a little nervous. We all get a little, little hesitant. Even, even me, I get nervous when it comes to, to sharing my faith. Heck, I get nervous before I preach a sermon. Right? And so I get nervous right before I, I preach. That is perfectly normal. It's, it's normal for that. But listen, the Great Commission is not a suggestion, it's a command that we are to be his witnesses. It's not an option. It's not if you feel like it. No, it is a command to be his witnesses, to share our faith. And so, how do we do that? Well, we need to be always looking around us for opportunities to share our faith. Listen, here, here's what it says. Ananias, this is what he did. He departed and he entered into the house. But that, that was his opportunity. And so far in this story, what, what we've seen is this, is it's a very supernatural story. I mean, it starts off last week. We saw that as Saul was riding to Damascus, Jesus shows up. The, the resurrected Jesus in all of his glory appears, bright light, loud voice, knocks him off his horse. He's blinded. He's fasting for three days. That's supernatural. And then while he's fasting for three days blind, God begins to give a vision to Ananias and he says, I want you to go. So this is a very supernatural story, but I want you to notice the act of evangelism is not supernatural. The, the, the setup is supernatural, but the execution is, is very normal. It's very natural. What does he do? He just goes to his house. See, I, I think what happens so many times is this, is we talk ourselves out of sharing our faith because we're looking for the perfect moment rather than the perfect opportunity. 
See, sometimes we're waiting for a supernatural, mighty move of God to give us the confidence to go out and to share our faith. But sometimes evangelism is supernatural. But sometimes, most of the time, it's very natural. It's super practical. It's not always supernatural. If you're always looking for the supernatural, then sometimes you're going to miss it. But if you're looking for normal, ordinary, everyday ways that you can share your faith, you got to recognize that evangelism is also super practical. Yeah, sometimes there's going to be a miracle. There's going to be healing. There's going to be a prophetic word or a divine appointment. Like that stuff happens. But it's in my experience, nine times out of 10, evangelism is just a conversation. It's just coffee with a friend. It's, 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 it's talking with a guy at the gym between sets. It's a phone call. It's a family member. It's, it's just one-on-one. It's just like we read in the text. It's just very normal. It's just very natural. It's not always supernatural. Sometimes it's just, it's super practical. So what do we see in the text here? It's very practical. He gets up and he goes to his house. I think sometimes we make evangelism way more complicated than it needs to be. And that's why we get frustrated and that's why we are not effective when it comes to evangelism because we're waiting on the perfect moment rather than looking for the right opportunity. And so let me give you just briefly a couple super practical ways that you can can share your faith. There's five different ways that I think um, evangelism can happen is one is, is sometimes evangelism is intellectual. W- what do I mean by that? It's deep philosophical. It's um, debates, maybe an argument here and there. I would suggest not getting on debates in Facebook comments because that is the cesspool of the internet. But sometimes it's, it's, it's requires a lot of thought. So you're gonna have to read, you're gonna have to study to show yourself approved. Listen, God is not honored by ignorance. And so sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, then there's going to be an intellectual conversation. So read some books, pray, do some study, and become intellectual. Love God with your mind. Number two, sometimes it's just sharing your testimony. Listen, people can argue with your theology, but they cannot argue with your story. And so you just tell them, here's who I was, here's what Jesus did, here's how he changed my life, and I believe he wants to do the same thing for you. And then number three, sometimes it's, it's confrontational, all right? So I know that people don't like this method, but I will say it, it's actually in the Bible. Like confrontation can be used for the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul's gonna do a, a little bit later. He's gonna ride into town and start riots. He's gonna roll up. He's gonna find the, the false gods. He's gonna tump them over. He's gonna preach. People are gonna get saved. They're gonna set fires in the city. They're gonna be arrested, thrown in prison, beat up and kicked out, get up, walk right back in and start preaching again. This is sometimes the way that we do things here at Redemption. It's, it's confrontational because God's word, it is confrontational. And God's word does need to be preached. People need to be told that there is truth and there is lies, there is right, there is wrong, there is good, there is evil. And that in our world can be seen as confrontational. And so sometimes evangelism does require confrontation. The third is this, is it's, or sorry, rather the fourth is that it's invitational. Now this is Jesus' favorite method of evangelism. It was invitational because here's how he calls people to follow him. He says, hey, come and see. Who is this man? Hey, why don't you come and see? 
I heard him preaching. Oh yeah, why don't you come and see? Come and see. That come and see evangelism. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's an aspect of, of how we share our faith. So maybe you're not bold enough to start a riot and maybe you're not confident enough to, to have a deep uh, theological conversation, but you can do this. You can, you can give him an invite card. You can take this invite card and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And then I want you to invite you to my church And so you can come learn a little bit more. And I'll even save you a seat to where you can sit next to me. I'll take you out for lunch afterwards and I'll answer any questions that you might have. But what is that? That's that's doing evangelism like Jesus did. Hey, just come and see. It's very invitational, which is number five. It leads to relational. This is a lifelong friend. This is a next door neighbor. This is a coworker, a spouse, a child. It's a relationship that you have built with somebody to where there is trust, there is respect, there is honor that is in there. And then you have the opportunity through relationship to lead that person to Jesus. Listen, it doesn't always have to be some crazy supernatural story where God shows up in a bright light and a loud voice and says, go. No. Sometimes it's just as simple as this, going to their house and praying for them. That's it. Sometimes it's supernatural. Most of the time, it's just very practical. And here's the reason why this is, is important because I think that, that sometimes we're, we're waiting for God to do the supernatural when God is waiting for us to do the natural. Like sometimes we're waiting for a move of God But what if God was waiting on a move of you? That when you step out in faith, that's when God shows up and that's when he is faithful. When you share your faith, God begins to move in people's lives. And so you don't always have to wait on a move of God because God is waiting on a move of you. God could already be working in that person's life and you don't even know about it, but he is going to use you to bring them to faith, to change their life and all he's waiting for you to do is to go. So you don't always have to have the supernatural moment. Sometimes it's just living your everyday life in very practical ways. You gotta, you gotta look, for the, look for the opportunities that are all around you, which leads to, to number four. And I, I think this one's probably the most important one is you gotta love them where they're at. L- look what it says. So Ananias departed And he entered into his house, laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road, has now sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. The second part of verse 17 really stuck out to me as I was reading it this week. Look what it says. It says, he laid his hands on his shoulders. This man who was on his way to murder him, he showed him compassion. This man who was on his way to arrest him, he gave him dignity. This man who was his enemy, Ananias placed his hand and he called him brother. He said, brother, everyone hated Saul. But Ananias reached him because Ananias loved him where he was at. Listen, I know that there's people in our lives 
to where their lives don't line up with God's word. There's people in our lives who we don't approve of the way that they live. We don't approve of the choices that they make. We don't approve of the lifestyle. And we recognize that it is sinful. We don't excuse it. We don't overlook it. We're not justifying it. We're not pretending that it's okay. No, it's, it's sinful. And do, do you know the reason why? Because they're sinners. Listen, we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians in order for them to become Christians. That's a, a works-based righteousness. That's the furthest thing from what God does in their lives. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians and they get mad at them when they don't act like Christians. You know why? Because they're not Christians. But yet as believers, they are still made in the image and likeness of God. They're still worthy of dignity and value and honor and respect regardless of who they are or how they live. And here's the reason why as believers, we are to treat people as such. You ready? Because people don't care what you know until they know how much you care about them. Like why do we share our faith with people? Because we want for them to know Jesus. We're not sitting here trying to shove our beliefs down their throat. What we want for them to know is Jesus and how much Jesus loves them and how much he could change their life for them. And if they really knew Jesus the way we knew Jesus, then, th then they would understand why we're sharing our faith with them. And so we do it because we love them. We do it because one of the most loving things we could ever do is to tell somebody about a God who can save and transform and change their lives. If we don't tell them, we don't love them, but we do tell them because we do love them. There is eternal life. There is hope. There is salvation that is available for them. And so when you share your faith, it's one of the best ways you can love somebody. But here's how you do it. You gotta love them where they're at. Listen, here's what Ananias does. Ananias puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, brother, do you notice that Ananias isn't yelling at Paul? You know why? Because Paul is blind. He's not deaf. There's a difference. He's blind. He's not deaf. You don't need to yell at blind people. No, you need to be gracious, compassionate, and love them where they're at. And, and so what happens? All of a sudden, scales fall off his eyes. He regains his sight. Saul's heart becomes open. His defenses are down. And the man who was blind, all of a sudden, he sees. This is a beautiful picture of what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Their, their heart becomes open spiritually. The, the blind eyes, they can see for the first time in their lives. This is why we sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. Do you remember when you came to faith? Do you remember the moment that you went from being lost to being found? Do you remember when you went from, from, from being blind to all of a sudden you can see? Do you remember the joy, the peace, the comfort, that overwhelming feeling when you were filled with the Holy Spirit? It's like the whole world for the first time comes into focus. You begin to see the big picture that there is a God and there is truth and there is grace and the scales fall from your eyes and you begin to see. Well, the same experience that happened for Saul it's the same experience that happened for, for me, happens for you, and God wants that experience for them. And God will use you 
to bring it about in their lives. And so what we have to do is to learn to love people where they're at and meet them in that moment, which leads to point number five is we lead them to Jesus. Here's how the story ends. It says, then he rose and he was baptized. This is Saul's baptism. And I want you to notice something. Saul was immediately baptized. Saul didn't wait till he had his life together. He didn't wait till his name changed to Paul in order to get baptized. He didn't take a class. No, he was immediately baptized. And there's some people in the room who you're waiting to be baptized until you feel ready. Can I just tell you that we're never gonna be ready because we're always in a process. We're always on a journey. It's not about being perfect. It's about being perfected. It's not about perfection. It's about the direction of your life. And so if you are a Christian, you've not yet been baptized, then we have a baptism Sunday coming up on December 17th. We want you to sign up to be baptized. It says he rose and he was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. I want you to to notice something. Who led Saul to Christ? I want you to notice, go back to to the first verse, chapter chapter nine, verse 10. Who led Saul to Christ? Was it it an apostle? Was it a a preacher? Was it on on a Sunday morning at church between the hours of nine and 11 o'clock? Was it a theologian? Was it a religious leader? Was it a celebrity or an athlete? Was it somebody with a massive social media following? Was it an influencer? Like, Like Saul becomes Paul, who becomes the most influential person in the world. But who's the one who led him to Jesus? It says, a disciple. Just an ordinary guy. A disciple is what we're all called to be. We're every single one of us, we're told to follow after Jesus. Did you know the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament? The word disciple appears over 300 times. It's the primary way that the author Luke refers to Christians. And so that means if you are a Christian, then guess what? You're a disciple. And that means God wants to use you in the same way that God used Ananias. Listen, it was just an ordinary guy that God used to do extraordinary things. And as we've been preaching through the book of Acts, it's become abundantly clear to me, and it's a part of my hope and my prayer for us as a church, is that we would get over this this idea that the pastor is the one who has to do all the ministry. That the pastor or the staff, that they're the ones who are called and, and we're, just the, we're just the ordinary people. I, I want you to get that out of your head because the reality is this, is that God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. You know, I think too often we've relied on the pastor to do what we are told to do. That we've relegated ministry to a platform rather than being empowered as God's people to live out God's purposes. You discredit yourself so much that you don't know what you're actually truly capable of because Acts 1.8 says you will receive power. It doesn't say Byron will receive power or JC will receive power or Ethan or Trevor or your favorite celebrity pastor will receive power. No, it says you 
you sitting in the seats, you inviting your friends, when you're at the gym, when you're at the grocery store, when you're eating dinner with your family, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses because God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Listen, you don't have to have all of the answers. You just need to know Jesus because Jesus is the answer. You don't have to have it all together because you know that Jesus is the one who holds you together. You don't have to be special. You just need to be available and ready and willing because when you give God your availability, that's when God will give you the ability because he loves to use ordinary people like you to do extraordinary things. See, this is why here at Redemption, we have a vision, a call, a challenge people every year to reach one person for Jesus. One person. What do we see in this story? We never see Ananias show up ever again in the text, in the Bible. All we know is Ananias led one person to Jesus. Have you led one person to Jesus? I want to show you a picture. This is, this is my dream for everybody. Do you see that? I'm not the one baptizing. People ask all the time, they're like, well, Byron, how come, how come you don't baptize? Well, sometimes I do if people ask, but I'm not, the, I'm not the one who baptizes. Here's who we get to baptize. That picture right there, that's a, a husband baptizing his wife because he's the one who's been praying for her. He's the spiritual leader over that, that family. He, he's, he's her husband. He's the one who has the, the joy of baptizing his wife. And this is how we do baptisms here at Redemption. If you lead someone to Jesus, then you are the one who gets to baptize them. Or maybe another way to say it is, if you catch it, you clean them, right? You catch them, you clean them. Jesus says we're to be fishers of men, so if you catch them, you clean them, right? We want for you to have the joy of baptizing somebody that you personally led to Jesus. So how, as a church, do we do that? One, we live in the presence of God. Two, we learn their story. Three, we look for the opportunity. Four, we love them where they're at. And then five, we lead them to Jesus. And what God did for Ananias, I believe, is what God wants to do for all of us. He wants every single one of us to have the joy, the honor, and the privilege of leading one person to Jesus because you never know what God is gonna do. Ananias didn't know what Paul was going to accomplish. He didn't know that this murderer would become a missionary and this persecutor of the church would become a, a planter of the church. Ananias didn't know at the time that he would be the hinge that all of the gospel would hang upon from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Paul's conversion, now to the ends of the earth. And today there's 4 billion Christians on the planet. Why? Because one person led someone to Jesus. You know, this story reminds me of uh, Billy Graham, who outside of Paul might be the person who's led more people to Jesus than Jesus himself. Uh, his staff actually says that they estimate that he's led through his evangelistic crusades 3 million people to Christ. 
And a lot of people know who Billy Graham is, but not many people know who Henrietta Mears is. You say, well, who's Henrietta Mears? Um, Henrietta Mears is a simple lady who loved the Lord in the local church. She prayed regularly. She served faithfully. She was a Sunday school teacher. And one day she had a student in 1936 named Billy Graham who gave his life to Jesus. And she, along with her husband, helped mentor him, helped disciple him. And she didn't do much. She never preached a sermon. She never went on tour. She never had an Instagram account. She never had a a YouTube. She never had a great following. She never graduated from college. She was just a faithful woman who loved Jesus and she loved leading people to Jesus. And one day in 1936, she led one young man to Christ. And from that conversation, he went on to lead millions. What God did through Ananias with Saul, what God did through Henrietta Mears with Billy Graham, is I believe what God wants to do in our lives when we tell others about him. Listen, here's the one thing that we all have in common is we all know somebody who does not know and love Jesus. If you're a member of redemption, that is what brings us together. That is what unites us. That is the vision of redemption is to help people experience life change through Jesus. Whether you're Baptist, whether you're charismatic, whether you're left-handed, single or married, this is what we all have in common. This is why you call redemption home because you wanna see that person that you know and love, come to know and love Jesus. You wanna help them experience life change. And so here's my challenge as we get ready to close. You ready? I give it to you every year. And here's it, write it in your notes. This is my challenge for you. Everyone reach one. Listen, I'm not asking you to change the world. I'm asking you to reach one. I'm not asking this church to blow up to 10,000 people because that's not the number we care about. What's the number we care about? We care about the number one. My challenge for you is God's challenge for Ananias. It's just reach one person. Is there one person in your life that you want sitting next to you next week? Pray for them. Love them where they're at. Live in the presence of God. Learn their story. Look for an opportunity and you'll get to lead them to Jesus. Everyone reach one. You can do that. And so on December 17th, we're having a a baptism to celebrate what God's done through the year of our church, but also in your life. And how incredible would it be if on that day you got to baptize your one? It's really simple. It's not as complicated as we make it out to be. It's just everyone gets gets one. Pray for them by living in the presence of God. Learn their story. Look for an opportunity. Love them where they're at. And you can begin to lead them to Jesus.